Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Wendy Hill 2, who is the co-writer and director of Marlene, a movie that's having its premiere screening at the bookshelf this Friday. Much to my disappointment, we don't get a lot of big movie premieres here in Guelph, so when one happens, it is kind of a big deal and it usually comes with some specific Guelph significance. The significance with Marlene is kind of a personal one. The titular heroine is a self-selecting Guelphite who moved here with her husband, Stephen Truscott, whose life story is one of the worst miscarriages of justice in Canadian history. That story, seen through the eyes of his wife, Marlene, is the subject of the movie that now bears her name. And the film's director is going to talk about why it was a story she needed to tell. Telling stories at the movies is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. To begin with, who is Stephen Truscott? Well, he was the youngest person ever to be sentenced to death in Canada, and it was for the 1959 rape and murder of 12-year-old Lynn Harper in Clinton, Ontario. Truscott himself was just 14 at the time, but everyone agrees he was the last person to see Harper alive. He gave her a ride on the crossbar of his bike to an area at the intersection of a country road and Highway 8. After that, Truscott says that he saw Harper get into a vehicle he didn't recognize. But the police said, instead, he was the one who took Lynn Harper to Lawson's Bush, where he then raped and killed her and left her body. The police, as it turned out, were wrong. Although he was sentenced to death, Truscott was remanded to life in prison instead, and he was paroled in 1969. Always maintaining his innocence, Truscott was finally acquitted by the Court of Appeal in 2007, Attorney General of Ontario at the time, Michael Bryant, even apologized on behalf of the provincial government, saying that they were truly sorry for what was a miscarriage of justice. And that, as they say, was that. But throughout much of Truscott's nearly 50-year journey from condemnation to exoneration, it was Marlene who was by his side. What's interesting is that when Stephen went to death row, Marlene had no idea who he was. But like so many others, she became invested in his story and ended up being his most passionate and vocal advocate. They got married and ended up having three children together after he was paroled, and the family would eventually settle in Guelph. This was a story that was ready-made for the movies. You have an innocent man that endures a terrible fate, only to end up finding great love in his darkest time, and that love almost literally ends up saving him in the end. A tad reductive, perhaps, but truth is stranger than fiction, and no one knows that better for this story, like Wendy Hill 2. So Hill 2 joins us on this edition of the Guelph Politicast to talk about the making of the movie Marlene, how she got interested in the story, and why she decided to make Marlene Truscott the point of view for telling it. We also talk about the political and social issues around Stephen Truscott's experience, like how young Truscott was a victim of the tough-on-crime ethos, how the media played a crucial role in promoting his case, and the role sentencing a 14-year-old to hang played in ending capital punishment in Canada. We will also talk about the difficulty in telling a multi-decade story, the ways that Marlene is a love story first, and the influence of the real Marlene Truscott on her story and on the director telling it. So I caught up with Wendy Hill, too, earlier this week via Zoom. Okay, so Wendy Hill, too, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Um, you're welcome. It's great to be there. Well, you know, you are the, the director, so you have to, um, you know, be able to pitch your own movie. So why don't you just start by telling us, you know, what is Marlene all about? Um, you know, it's interesting how I got into this was I have a friend who's a journalist and he is also a playwright and wrote a play um, on the Stephen Truscott story and met Ryan. It was performed in Guelph. Mm-hmm. And um, he told me when he came back, he'd met with the Truscotts and he told me Marlene's story, which was a story really that's never been told. And, um, you know, I just remember having te- like tearing up. It was such a, a beautiful, emotional story. And that's how I became involved in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I think the film is emotional and heartwarming, I guess. Um, it's, it's about a courageous woman who's like Canada's Erin Brockovich without the clothes <laughs> and um, who fights for truth and fights for justice and to exonerate her husband, um, Stephen Truscott, from a crime he didn't com- commit. Mm-hmm. The Truscott story is, um, I mean, I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of people of a certain age who don't know, and certainly people who grew up with it, um, and probably even here in Guelph because the fact that Truscott settled here, so it's it's probably a well-known story too. But to tell it from Marlene's perspective, what made that particularly appealing for you? I think it was her story. And and as I say, like, I mean, I was very moved when I was younger, when I first read about the Stephen Truscott story and about how he was sentenced to be hanged at 14. Like that was a moving story. But when I heard her story of what she went through, and I think, you know, the love story and Mm. um, how, you know, she got involved in the campaign, but before that happened, she had to hide. They, mm. He had an assumed name. He couldn't use his name. He was given a number in jail mm. and um, then had an assumed name and and couldn't, like, they couldn't even tell their children. I mean, they couldn't tell anyone. And they had to keep moving around. Every time someone found there was a convicted rapist and murderer on the block, mm. they had to move. Mm-hmm. They had to be silent because the press were behind them. The press believed he was innocent and they didn't want more press. They didn't mm-hmm. want more of that happening. So the whole story, the, the whole love story and the story of the hiding, and then also her conviction, her incredible conviction to have this story be told for the truth to come out. She did not want Stephen to go to his grave, a convicted murder and rapist. And she didn't want that for her children either. This was their father. Right. She, wanted his name cleared and you know marlene is a very remarkable and determined woman courageous too and she just fought she she just stayed in there over the years year after year determined that this would eventually happen and i think if it wasn't for her um i mean obviously there was a team of lawyers and other people around him but if it wasn't for marlene this story would never have come out Mm -hmm. It's interesting, and perhaps this plays out in, in the film to some extent, because unfortunately I haven't been able to see it yet, but um, Stephen Truscott, like a lot of people getting out of prison, kind of wants to put the experience behind them, especially him going to, going, essentially going to death row at the age of 14. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, who wouldn't want to put that in the rearview mirror and never think about that again? But to, to get to what you were explaining there, this was essentially a story about how they had to become public people even to, to, to make sure justice was done, even though it was kind of the last thing they ever wanted. They had to seek out that, you know, being out in public and embracing the Truscott name so that they could get to the end of the story, which was his exoneration. Mm-hmm. I mean, his mom, I think, certainly wanted to forget. I mean, she felt, you know, you're free, like you're free now. You know, why, why, why go through this again? And yeah. um, I think partly for, because of that, Stephen wanted to leave it behind, but also he, he did want to forget. And who wouldn't if you were arrested at 14 and spent 10 years in jail? So I think he could have moved on, but Marlene just saw the injustice in that. I'm just, you know, I've often thought about how, I think what's remarkable is that she believed Right. She believed that somehow the system would eventually exonerate him. And I think a lot of people wouldn't have that hope. And, you know, when they didn't find DNA, for example, which would have made it so much easier. Yeah. No, she was determined to go on. I mean, with David Milgard, they found DNA. So that that made that case easy or easier. But for Stephen, there was no D- DNA. It had, you know, it all been, um, I guess... Well, it was in a fire right. and they stood and watched it burn, right? <laughs> so there was there was nothing. And so the fight became that much that much harder. And it, you know, it took years. Right. And it 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 really is a story about the limits of the criminal justice system, too. That um, I mean we kind of have that attitude. It's like, well, somebody just get the DNA and we'll run the test. And, 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 you know, it's not like that too. Things like eyewitness testimony, because people saw the last person when Harper was seen with was Stephen Truscott. And I believe Stephen Truscott has even said that too, that, you know, he, but he did uh, take her um, on his bike, dropped her off somewhere. He's, he reported that he saw her get into somebody else's car, but you know, one would think that would be enough to generate some, you know, um, I, I guess different directions of the case. But I mean, this is this is one of those criminal cases where um, everything that could go wrong for the accused did go wrong. And then it takes almost 50 years to undo it all to get justice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were three child witnesses who saw him go over the bridge with Lynn Harper. She'd asked for a ride mm-hmm. to go see the pony. So he dropped her at the highway. So there were three children that saw him, but they didn't believe them or, right. you know, they said that he was, they were defending his, his friend. Right. And, um, and one of them, one of those child witnesses never came out in court mm-hmm. was never put forward by the prosecutor, which you wouldn't get away with nowadays. Mm-hmm. You can't hide um, you know, a witness like that from the from the um, uh, defense, but they did. So, um, I mean, it was it was really kind of criminal what happened to him. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, though, it, it so shocked the nation and around the world. This fourteen year old boy being sentenced to be hung. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, I, truly, I think his case had so much to do with the fact that the. Uh, um, that we don't have capital punishment in this country today. Yeah. And it wasn't immediate, but Canada never hung a person again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, if you're going to have a legacy, then maybe that's a pretty good one. But, you know, the experience to get there is another thing entirely. Um, as a filmmaker, how do you handle something that's like a multi-decade, multi-faceted story like this? Because it wasn't just a Law & Order episode where it manages to get like, yeah, that those stories kind of unfold over a, maybe a couple of days, one week period, and then all of a sudden it's over. And then, but this, this was like, decades this is you're in, and you're dealing with the characters at different points in their lives um you know when they're preteens or, or young teens when they're young adults and then you know eventually they're their older selves it's it seems like a lot to manage in a two-hour time frame <laughs> you know we spent years writing the script and part of that was that the story was so big you could make a whole feature film just on the trial yeah and i think it would be pretty exciting like it was amazing what happened there. So we spent a long, long time before we really narrowed it down to, to Marlene, like to the love story. And then, you know, her tenacity in, uh, you know, making the case go forward. And um, it was difficult because it was over so many, you know, over generations, it's difficult for the crew. And when you think of the makeup and the hair and aging Marlene and Stephen as well, um, you know, in the art department, having to have all those sets of all those different time periods, right? And I mean, it was kind of funny. Um, I stepped into directing about three weeks before it was going to be shot, <laughs> lost my director. So I stepped into it, but you know, I was really, I mean, I was really glad I did too, because I knew the story. I, I just knew it so well by then. But um, I would get questions all the time on the set, like, oh, what year is this? <laughs> well, I was probably the only person who knew it because it's so complex, right? I go, that's 1969. <laughs> so they wouldn't know, you know, what to do with it. So it, it was um, it, it was complex. But I mean, I think they really pulled it off the art department. And um you know, I, and they've been nominated for awards and all kinds of things, which is really wonderful. So, um, yeah, I think they did a terrific job, but it was a challenge. It certainly was a challenge to do a film over so long a period. Mm -hmm. Finding all the old cars too. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of, again, I, I do find it kind of curious that this is kind of the first like dramatic movie made of this. I mean, there have been, there was a, a novel a couple of years ago, uh, The Way the Crow Flies, that you know told this story. There was a movie in the 70s. I can't remember what it's called, but it was, it's essentially the Trescott story, but the names were changed. This is the first film to like be like, this is the Stephen and Marlene Trescott story. And I can't imagine for them, um, this, this was kind of a heavy idea. Um, that, you know, they, they were going to be, after all this time, dramatized in film by actors. I mean, Marlene was always there for me. She was quite involved in the script. She was always checking facts because, again, such a big story, so many years, you know, and, and um, she would always say to me, you know, I think her big worry was, will it be truthful? Mm. I want it to be truthful. She's, mm -hmm. she's a person who's after the truth, just as she was, in having the truth come out of what really happened and the fact that he was innocent. And um, so she was, she would email me, we would email back and forth and I'd say, you know, 
just little things like, what books did you read? You know, we're trying to imagine what a room looks like, right? What did you wear back then? Um, you know, just going through all those details. And she was really fabulous. She was always checking on things. But, you know, um, I think, I mean, Marlene told me that she thought that we really captured her character in the film. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was, I was really nervous, actually, about her liking <laughs> the film. I mean, I think it's hard to do a film on real people and real people who are still alive. Yeah. But I think she, she really felt that I captured her story and she wanted her, st- I think she really wanted her story to be told. And you know, it, it deserves to be told. Canadians should know her story. I mean, she was really an ordinary woman who's extraordinary and she did extraordinary things. And, and, you know, I'm so glad to have this film come out and give her the credit she's due. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of like, sort of ordinary acts of extraordinariness it, it is kind of a reminder that um you know things are not easily won uh one person can make a difference difference the making that difference might take decades and i i guess i'm wondering from marlene's perspective how much of this is maybe yes acknowledgement of what she and steven went through but also maybe uh, a source of inspiration for others in these times where you know, every day we're kind of convinced that maybe one person can make a difference fighting for what's right. Maybe doesn't, uh, maybe isn't worth the hassle of, of doing it. And I'm sure there were times in her life that, you know, there, maybe there were doubts that they would see the day Stephen would be exonerated, but you know, it, how much of this is, how much of this is, I guess, is Marlene's story and how much of this is like a lesson to the people that, you know, you, you can make a difference if you, put your nose to the grindstone and all those superlatives. <laughs> I mean, it certainly is Marlene's story, but for me, what I'd like people to take away with them is that they can also like be a Marlene. We mm-hmm. can all do that in our own way in our life. And, you know, it was interesting when the timing of this film, because I think truth is threatened these mm-hmm. days. I mean, mm-hmm. it was an, in a way, an, you know, an, old story and that is historical but it was for me it became a story about today and about the fact that we're living in a world where if where journalists are being attacked where truth is being attacked and um and i think that this story says that truth matters and you have to fight for it you know we see what's happening in ukraine now and democracy and we're starting to realize we have to fight for it. I'd like to see the Western world fight harder yeah. against what's happening, you know, this atrocity. And um, we can't take these things for granted. We can't take democracy for granted. You know, um, we can't take innocence and guilt for granted. We can't take the justice um, system for granted because right. the, the justice system makes mistakes. And there are people to this day in jail in this country who are innocent. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have to, we have to remember, um, it's why I'm against capital punishment, too, is because, unfortunately, we make mistakes, the system makes mistakes. And, um, and we have to remember that, because, you know, people can talk about getting tough on crime, and, you know, all of that, but we can't, we can't go back there, you know, no right. matter how horrendous the crimes, I think it's, it's a tribute to Canada that we don't have capital punishment here. And um, yeah, I, I just, 
um, Marlene fought for the truth. And I, I just hope that every Canadian fights for it in every way they in, in their daily lives, even just even in small ways, truth, truth matters, and we should all fight for it. I mean, this is the kind of a lesson of what happens when you do get tough on crime sort of as a as a point of view, because I'm sure there were a lot of police officers uh, who at the time thought they were getting tough on crime by taking Stephen Truscott and sentencing him to hang. Well, the, the police didn't, but the jury of his adult peers did. And I'm sure, you know, there were a lot of people at the time who were like, good. Yeah, he killed that girl and deserves to be punished for it without perhaps um, understanding the full scope of the case, which, as, as you said, was not understood even in the courtroom. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because it was a different time in the sense that I, th- I think what happened through the 60s is, we, is people started to rebel against authority. So when this case happened in 1959, I think people still believed that the police were always truthful. Mm. And if the police thought he was guilty, well, he must be guilty. You know, it's a different time in that that even journalists weren't allowed to be, the trial was 10 days. Journalists weren't allowed to be there. So no one really knew what was happening. I mean, that wouldn't happen nowadays. And, um, and yeah, I, I mean, when I think about it, it's like a 14-year-old in this jail, and they were so mean to him. Like, mm. not only did they sentence him to be hanging, and then he was left kind of hanging there for a long time in terms of wondering whether he was going to be or not. I mean, can you imagine this 14 year old in jail for like six months? Mm. And he's, and there's a scene like that in the film, which I think is very powerful where he thinks they're trying to get him. They're, mm. they're coming to get him. The guard is walking down the hall and he thinks that's it. It's over. They're going to kill me now. And um, for this young boy to go through that, um, you know, was extra extraordinary, you know, and, and, really heart-wrenching, I think. But you know what's amazing about Stephen is like, he's such a gentle soul, Mm. like in person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so humble. And so it's not bitter. He's not twisted. And I think, I mean, partly it it also, I mean, I think was his upbringing, but it has to be that when he got out, he met Marlene and eventually they fell in love. Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, it's, I've always seen it as a love story too. And um, I think, and he had children, he had three children and they had like a normal family. And I think, and he had a job because he was trained when he was in jail mm-hmm. um, at, in the machine shop. And um, so he had a job to come out to too. And like, you know, he's so normal, but I think someone else, it could have, it could have been different with someone else, but he was, He's a remarkable man in himself. And and Marlene, I think, I mean, I think it was destiny. She said to me, mm. it was destiny that we met mm-hmm. and that we met together. And it was destiny that she, you know, fought to have the case come forward. And that, yeah, she met him in her life. Yeah, because I mean, that's an interesting part of the story. It's it's not, it wasn't a matter of like they knew each other in Clinton before. And, you know, maybe they were like, they were, you know, young friends. And, but she always believed his innocence. She came to it after he was convicted, read the story in, in a book that was published and thought, wow, this is basically bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to start digging into this. And then they became acquainted while he was, he was still in jail. And, uh, you know, neither of them probably thought that 
things would end up where they have ended up in, in 2022 and have looking back on this wonderful life together. But um, I guess, you know, truth is stranger than fiction in that regard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was a, it, it's, it's a little bit of a, a fairy tale in a way. Yeah. How they met and how, you know, Isabel who had written a book about him, she, she, she was a journalist who was against capital punishment and then realized that he was innocent because she'd gone through the transcripts of the trial. And then she ended up writing a book about it. And, um, and Marlene read that book and got involved in the case and started to campaign for him. And when he came out, Isabel introduced them. And, mm-hmm. you know, at first, I think for Marlene, she said, you know, I mean, they were just friends. He didn't have any friends his age. Right. He had, you know, it was grade eight, I think, when he went into jail. He hadn't finished his school. He didn't have friends his age. He was sent away. They didn't want him in Ontario. They sent him to be with his grandparents in Vancouver. And it just happened that she moved out there as well. And I think at first, like, it, they had a friendship. And she was, she, she, she just said he was very lonely. Mm. And um, so the, they became first friends. And then there was a moment where she realized that she felt much more for him. And, um, you know, they eventually, of course, got married. But on her wedding day, and she only had five people, six people at her wedding, Mm. the pastor and his wife, she and Stephen, and um, two, um, you know, witnesses who were, you know, from the parole board. She wasn't allowed to have their family. They were hiding. Right. They hid for years. And she couldn't even have her family at her own wedding. You know, it was, and, but on her wedding day, she swore someday she was going to help this man. Mm. We've been kind of tap dancing around it too, and I don't want to make everything about the media, but I mean, it is a media story as well. Although your your movie's not necessarily about the the media, though. I mean, that plays a role. But you know, as you said, the media was there at the beginning. They smelled a rat. Um, you know, the the, the, the vaunted CBC show uh, this hour has seven days. You know, essentially got canceled because they told Stephen Truscott's story. Um, I mean, it, it's a lesson that there's sometimes real cost in telling the truth. Wow, isn't that interesting? I, I actually didn't know that was why it was canceled. Yeah. But, but no, I'm, it's, um, the media was there. I mean, uh, largely due to Isabel's book, I think. Um, and, and because, I mean, it was, it was crazy what happened at the trial. You know, just, he was just so um, cornered and they twisted everything. Yeah. They twisted everything. And he, he, didn't speak at the trial. And I think he was shocked too when he was convicted. I mean, as I guess anybody who's innocent would feel that way. It's like, what? Right. What just happened? Where's my parents? You know, th- that's what he was thinking when he was driven away. And um, but they were they were mean to him too. Like the judge, for whatever reason, because he believed he was guilty, right. decided not only to hang him, but that he would be kept in isolation. So the trustcots were only allowed to go see him for like an, it was something like an hour a month, which they divided into, you know, they divided up so they could see him twice. So here's this young boy in jail and he can't even see his family. Yeah. And they moved them. They moved them to Ottawa because, you know, there was all this stuff around it. There was an army base there and they didn't want the arm to be one of their men. And, you know, there was, I mean, he was just, um, it's sad what happened to him, but, and, and 
you know, and afterwards, after that trial, his own lawyer was promoted. And, you know, the guy who was um, the police officer behind it became head of the OPP. I mean, everyone got promoted that, you know. (laughs) Like after this, it was bizarre, you know? Yeah, they they put an innocent 14-year-old kid and it's like they, I don't know, they caught Al Capone or something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I feel compelled to point out, we still don't know who killed Lynn Harper. I know. The, the saddest, no, not the saddest, because I think it's very sad that they put a 14-year-old j- boy in jail who was innocent. But... He eventually did get exonerated, Mm. Um, but Lynn Harper never got justice. Yeah, because they weren't looking anywhere else, and they were like, there were I think thirty men set set, sent off the base right after this happened, who all had obviously sentences for something sexual or something, and so they they sent them away. Right? I mean, it's such a story of hiding. Mm. you know mm. not just mm-hmm. marlene hiding and you know having to use an assumed name and and all the rest of it but um you know and Stephen having to hide from his own children who he really was until he finally came out to them mm-hmm. and but um yeah it's such a story of hiding and you know um it's it's a beautiful story i mean marlene's story in this movie i think is a beautiful story too like it's 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 not all sad. I think it's triumphant. It's triumphant because, because she fought, they fought and, you know, eventually they won. What did you learn about the the things that drove Marlene? And I mean, in, in, in terms of like, maybe how that you reconcile those things in your own life, you know, what kind of inspiration did you take from her? Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I mean, I think partly what drove her was just believing that it was wrong. It was wrong what was done to him, and it needed to be righted. And, um, I mean, she didn't just have a little bit of that in her. It oozed through her whole body, and that's why she she stayed in there, you know, because I think, you know, and you'll see in the movie, like, it was – it was hard to go through years where nothing was happening after she finally decided to come out. Yeah. Um, when the children were older, of course, um, it just went on for so long, but all through it, I think she, a, she believed in his innocence and she believed what they did to him was wrong. Yeah. We're talking as the, the film is going to have its, um, release uh this friday and it's gonna have a nice premiere here in guelph uh oddly appropriate considering this is where the truscotts live and i think where they were were welcomed um by the community so what does it mean to sort of have marlene uh have have kind of like a nice premiere here in guelph you know and as I, i it feels kind of like a a nice nod, a nice nod to this community that uh, you know where Lynn and Steve and Stephen were able to find some peace. They were able to find a home. Yeah, I mean, I think there was never any question that we would show it in Guelph, and I think people there know this story. And I do think it's important um, that it play in Guelph. Um, you know, 
they're still fairly private people, I think. Yes, they are. Um, and um, Ryan's kind of, Ryan Truscott very graciously is doing interviews and um, doing press. I think because they just had so much of it. And, you know, um, but they want to celebrate. They want to celebrate this story. I think Stephen's really proud of Marlene. Mm. And, um, and, you know, and he should, you know, well-deserved. <laughs> and uh, I, I just think, you know, everyone in Canada should be celebrating this wonderful woman and what she did and, you know, should be inspired by it to do even little things <laughs> in their <laughs> own lives, <laughs> as many of us do. We don't fight things for years and years, but, you know, just stand up and, and say, you know, when something's wrong, I think it doesn't matter if you're living in Nazi Germany or, you know, you're in a classroom where a kid is bullied. Right. I think you have to be courageous and stand up to it. And uh, that's what I hope everyone is inspired by. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, it's quite, it sounds like quite the film to tackle and, uh, I know a lot of people here are, are very enthusiastic about checking it out. So Wendy Hill too, I, I thank you for your time and, and uh, your years of commitment to the story. Um, I can't, I can't wait to see it myself. So thank you for joining me today. Okay, thank you so much. And once again, that was Wendy Hill too. Marlene premieres Friday night at the bookshelf cinema with star Kirsten Booth and Ryan Truscott, son of Stephen and Marlene in attendance for a post screening Q and a, Marlene will then screen nightly at the bookshelf from April 8th to the 14th. You can learn more about the work of Wendy Hill, too, by visiting the website for her production company at voicepictures.com. And before wrapping up here, just a quick correction. In the interview, I said that CBC canceled This Hour Has Seven Days after running Stephen Truscott's story. That's actually, I was going to say half true, but that's not even half true. It was the co-host Laurier Lapierre, who was fired after airing Truscott's story on the show. The show itself wasn't cancelled, but I suppose Laurier Lapierre was. So just so that correction is out there, um, that is a mistake I made, and I apologize. Anyway, so that's it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. Until then... We'll see you next time.